Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mastermind.fm. This is Jean Galea, and with me, I have another Maltese fellow, Philip Camilleri, co-founder of uh, SmartAsset.com, and now working on Founders List. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jean. Thanks for having me. So, where should we start? You're a Maltese person uh, living in the US. Tell us how that happened and how you got involved with Smart Asset. Sure. So, uh, let's see. Long story short, went to university in Malta. While I was in university, I got involved with a company called iWorld Group. And I guess that's when I first got my taste of startups and, uh, well, technology. So, after university, I tried launching something that didn't really work out. I ended up moving to, I guess, what you could call a regular corporate job. And essentially, 2004, that job took me to the UK. I spent two years over there. We opened up an office in New York and I decided I'll try it out. So I moved to New York and after about five years with this company, working with with investment banks, building software for investment banks, I happened to meet my well future co-founder and we were talking about ideas and I'd reached a point where I wanted to try building a startup again and we, yeah, we hit it off and decided to put everything in and build what ended up becoming smartasset.com. Okay, and so what was the initial goal and how did Smart Asset develop? This all happened in 2010, right? So after the 2008 financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And the, the genesis of the idea really was with my co-founder, Michael. He had gone to buy a, a house in, in Long Island, New York, and realized how complicated it is in the U.S., in the US, everything is complicated, especially when it comes to finance. You have tons of products, lots of, I guess, obfuscation around products, which essentially should pretty much be the same. A mortgage should be the same uh, anywhere. Yet, there's probably about 20 different types of mortgages, taxes, fees, and everything else. Anyway, so Michael had a background in uh, private equity, finance, and thought he could figure things out pretty easily and found all this to be very complicated. So our original idea was, how can we make this more transparent and easier for regular users to understand? That was the genesis for the idea behind Founders List. And we started it off you know, pretty simply. We bootstrapped this ourselves, started growing it over for about a year, and then realized there was enough user interest to go out to fundraise. We joined Y Combinator in summer 2012, uh, and that obviously gave us a big push forward. And I like to say we we got lucky many times. So probably the first four years, our growth was somewhat flat. Um, we weren't growing as you know the the Silicon Valley hockey stick, but we got very lucky. We stumbled across a couple of ideas that took us from one or two million users to suddenly forty million users, and kept on growing until today. At our peak, we were handling just over a hundred million visitors per month. Mm, that's big. So you got lucky several times. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with Y Combinator, first of all, what's what's that exactly? Oh, right. So Y Combinator is, I'd say, probably one of the best known, at least in the US, incubators for early stage startups. It was started by a guy called Paul Graham, who is, again, pretty well known in the startup space in the US. And yeah, essentially, it's a program run out of uh, California, so Silicon Valley, essentially. And it's, I guess its branding and its network are somewhat invaluable for, for us as Smart Asset. That being in Y Combinator really made a huge difference to our, our trajectory and the path we took. Right. So how important was the timing, you think, when you entered the market with this product? 
Interesting question. Yeah. So when we started this, fintech wasn't by any way interesting. In fact, I, don't, I mean, I can honestly say like for us, raising our first round was a, was a big struggle. It took us a good 11 months. There were also like very big players in the space. So at the time, fintech was things like Bankrate and Yahoo Finance and AOL Finance. Uh, and they were the major players around. So for us, going up against them was something that, one, we knew was going to be a struggle. We, we believed that we could build a better product and a better user experience and a better platform for users. But at the end of the day, it is a bit of a numbers game. The more users you have, the more traffic you get off SEO or off paid users, then the, the bigger a system you can build. What really helped us was we built the platform, the financial modeling technology that then we could use to build visualization tools. And those visualization tools are what really got us a foot in the door with our big partnership. So we went from a few million users to 10, 20, 50 million visitors a month, thanks to partnerships with companies like CNN and Investopedia and Yahoo and AOL. Um, So essentially, nowadays, you can see our tools on most of these sites. And those sort of partnerships are... Yeah, they bring in several billion visitors per month. Mm. So right now, would you say it's the tools embedded in other websites that generate most traffic or people visiting the site itself? Um, That's still probably where we get most of our traffic from. But as, again, over nine years now, we've built enough of a brand that people recognize it. It's become a, I wouldn't say a household name per se, but you mentioned Smart Asset and people know it they've seen it on like their apple news feed and on their facebook feeds and so on so there's there's multiple sources that the company now targets Uh i wanted to ask you maybe we can do a comparison between the state of fintech in the us and that in europe you've been in the us for a while now so i'm not sure how familiar you are with what's happening in europe but fintech has been growing over the past three four years it's been in my opinion experience a big growth mm-hmm. and i think we're still a bit maybe five years behind the us in these things so i wonder whether you had any thoughts on, on that comparison well so i spent some time looking at a couple of different fintech ideas over the last year or so before before deciding to leave and start something new i guess one of the big advantages of the us is clearly that it's one single market mostly uniform regulation across different states but it's you know single language pretty uniform culture unlike obviously europe where you have different languages different regulations across countries the other thing as well in the us is you have very big players especially when it comes to simple things like banking that are well entrenched uh, and competing against them theoretically would be madness and yet those companies i guess are so so stuck in their ways that newer, for instance, challenger banks like Chime and N26 to a certain extent, there's a whole slew of startup banks as well, like Roe and Mercury, that are really challenging the status quo and the way people deal with their banks, doing things online. There's also tons of platforms, whether it comes to payments, uh, money transfers, even investment platforms, obviously, like Robinhood and stuff. So I think in the US, we've seen quite a bit of yeah, quite a lot of development in the fintech space. And as you were saying, like the investors are excited about this space, or at least they were before COVID. And I think, again, post-COVID, things will, will pick up again, maybe with a whole different twist. In Europe, to be honest, I mean, I've been looking at things like, again, N26, Revolut, Monzo, at least on the banking side, maybe on the insurtech side as well as a couple of startups. But again, I think 
the challenge for Europe is there's your markets are a bit constrained until you cross borders, cross languages. There's also a bit of a difference in the way companies are valued and funded. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, sometimes we take a look here at the US at what's happening in Europe because there are things that happen over there that might not be possible or might not be so relevant over here. Transferring money internationally isn't something that might work so much here in the US. But to be honest, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm always amazed at the developments that are happening in the fintech space, even in the startup space in general over in Europe. I mean, it's uh, sometimes more advanced than what we see here in the US. Interesting. You mentioned two points, the legislation and uh, the common language. And I think there was a tipping point in Europe over the past few years with more countries joining the EU. Uh, harmonization of rules and the younger generation in most countries speaking pretty good English. I think there they reached a critical point where you got this mass amount of investors or people interested in digital products who could also speak English. And the legislation was quite favorable towards those who could build these startups. Plus, there are certain countries or regions like the Baltics which are really pushing for these kinds of startups. So even giving tax incentives, um, legislation, which is favorable. So I think there's a, there, there will be some good opportunities going forward. We've got a big issue right now with trust because there were quite a few platforms that grew very rapidly over a year or two, and then turned out they were either scams or very badly managed. And especially now in these past few months, they've started failing like dominoes. So now the there's a lot of doubt in this space. But yeah, I think I'm talking more about kind of P2P lending, so more exotic ways of doing fintechs. Yeah, I think that's going to be an issue here in the US too. I mean, we've had, what is it, 10 years of pretty steady growth in the economy. So... A lot of these lending startups as well that might be highly leveraged have had a pretty good run. It remains to be seen what happens now when, I hate to say when the economy takes a downturn, but we're seeing what's happening right now with the markets um, and the economy in general. And I think these companies might start suffering defaults and um, payment issues. Uh, And I think a lot of investors over here are waiting to see how that's really going to impact the bigger players in the space. All right, so you're working on this new project now, which is called Founders List. Mm-hmm. I love the domain and I love the idea behind it. So just let us know what's the idea from your vision for it. Sure. Yeah. So the idea behind Founders List really came to me after running Smart Asset for whatever it was, nine years. Like one thing I noticed was that every few months I would need basically some some professional, some external service provider or product, whether it was an immigration lawyer to do a work visa, whether it was someone to work on signage for a conference, whether it was a marketing professional to do some specific type of campaign, you know, whether it was a designer to build some animation, whatever it was. And I noticed that every time I needed that, I would essentially go out to my networks, whether it was Y Combinator, the investor networks, other founders in that I knew, and ask everybody for recommendations. And I started realizing like those recommendations were actually what really drove my decision. If someone said, hey, this, this lawyer is good. We've done this visa with them before. Great. I would honestly normally like stop my search and go and work with them. But the other thing I found amazing was that that information wasn't really crystallized anywhere. As in, I would ask recommendations for an immigration lawyer. 
one month and two months later, I would see somebody ask the same thing again. And a couple of months later, it would recur. And I just thought, why is it that we have all of these platforms like Yelp and Nextdoor and Angie's List and Thumbtack for you know, restaurants and home service providers, but not for founders and entrepreneurs? Granted, you have things like Product Hunt and G2 Crowd for the software space, the product space, but not for the service providers or the freelancers. So I thought, I'm locked inside for how, good knows how long. So basically, in February this year, I decided to launch, um, well, build this and launch it. And surprisingly, it's gaining traction amongst users. So I find myself now with not enough time to actually keep up with all of the things we'd like to do and the, the number of users who keep asking for different features. Um, but hopefully, we'll, yeah, the aim is to keep growing it and see how, how useful we can be to founders. Right. So let's say how would it work? So I'm a founder, you're a founder. How would we provide value to each other through this website? Well, so part of it is the network. So it might be that you have certain questions that you want to ask and you can just share them, ask them over there. It might be you've launched a new product or you've got a new pitch you want to try out. So you might ask founders there. And the idea again is that you can either focus it on certain groups. So you might be part of the Spanish founders or part of the Madrid founders if you want to be more granular and have it within your local networks. It might be by topic, you're a FinTech founder or a crypto founder. So you might target to those groups. But more importantly than that, you might be looking for a lawyer to incorporate your company. And the idea would be that you can go through and see listings of incorporation lawyers. But more importantly, you can see who in your network actually recommends specific lawyers. So one is you can rank them by those recommendations. Or more importantly, you can contact someone you know, and just get feedback and say, hey, you know, what's this person really like? The idea is narrowing down that search. And the top of the funnel is always figuring out who works in the space and then narrowing it down by recommendations, research, and what have you. And how are you figuring out the getting, say, you get me on board? How do, you, how do I connect with the people I know? That's the big uh, thing we're trying to do now. So it's still pretty early. We've, we've got about 2,000 plus users. But to be honest, right now, that's what I'm working on, figuring out different strategies to encourage founders to, to join and to invite other founders. So part of it might be through, again, localized groups or interest groups. Part of the things we're testing now is figuring out different incentives, whether it's rewards in terms of AWS credits or a free Google Suite or free Superhuman for a year, um, or potentially financial rewards, get a, I don't know, $100 AWS uh, Amazon card or something. But we're trying to figure out strategies to grow the platform as well with other things. So we're doing some podcasts, some new content, a couple of AMAs on Reddit. We're trying to target as many different um, sources as possible to get users on board in the belief that I think once we have a certain volume of users and user-generated content and interaction, then it'll become more natural for users to join because they want to be part of this, this active community. Mm -hmm. All right. So, and in the short run, next few months, what are your main areas of focus apart from from this? What are you looking for? So, right now, the focus is on honestly on that. So, making sure we have the features that allow people to to share content, to get the information they need, uh, at least on the founder side. So, our strategies now are building out maybe a deal platform so that verified founders can actually get the, the tools they need early on. But also it's really reaching out to founders and figuring out what, what is it that works for you. I myself, I'm on Reddit, I'm on Slack channels, I'm on email lists. 
Um, so trying to figure out from other users, like what, what works, what do you enjoy about being on Slack? What don't you enjoy about being on Slack communities um, or email lists? And, and trying to understand what would really drive users to adopt the site and essentially embrace it and make sure that it's something that they, they find useful. If there's no utility, then obviously this is not going to work. But so far, it's actually been interesting. So we have things like we list a couple of hundred events, especially online events now, that is useful. I check it out myself to find out what I want to join in the upcoming week. Um, we have a co-founder search section, which is actually, that's probably one of the most active parts of the site where uh, folks looking for co-founders post their needs or just search for other ideas. But those are part of the early stages that, or the early things we've launched. We're also looking at doing a, an advisor platform. So if you're interested in advising startups, you can post your information there. Or if you're a startup that's looking to get advice from a PR professional uh, investor, whoever, then this will allow you to connect and have a quick call and just discuss things. Interesting. And have you thought about monetization at this point? I have a bit, but it's to be honest, it's, I wouldn't say even tertiary. Right now, this is something that I'd like to build to be useful. Um, thankfully, Smart Asset was a pretty good success. So I'd like to do something now that I think helps the founder community or the startup community. So for me, building that solid user base and getting it to a level of usefulness is, is the goal. At some point, if we figure out that this is really working and there are ways to monetize it without distracting from the founder value. I mean, to be honest, I've used things like Co-Founders Lab in the past. and I. It frustrates me when after sending five messages, I get a notice saying, hey, you have to pay $20 a month to send more messages. This is, you know, unfortunately, it's a bit ridiculous. I'd rather give this off for free, let founders use it and really get value out of it. And I, I know investors wouldn't want to hear this, but figuring out the monetization right now is a bit secondary. Interesting. All right. Question about the US space. What areas do you think that will experience growth in the next few years, especially in the tech space? Are you seeing any particular niches that are right for growth? I think like before all of this happened, before COVID, fintech, AI, robotics, those were definitely, I guess, up there in terms of general interest. COVID has definitely affected things. So I think anything that has to do with online collaboration, remote working, education, online education, I think those are going to experience some sort of shift. And depending how long this whole lockdown, social distancing is going to last, I think those will have some, those will experience some interesting growth. The same can probably also be said about online gaming, online entertainment. It's, it's almost a joke, but if you try to buy a Nintendo or a PlayStation online nowadays, it's probably pretty impossible. Um, and that just goes to show the demand for those sort of platforms. Things like online deliveries, uh, Instacart, online uh, grocery shopping, those are interesting, partly because, I mean, also I just read a piece yesterday about how DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub lose literally hundreds of millions of dollars per quarter. So it's a bit of a weird, I guess, a weird model. On the other hand, to be honest, like in the last eight weeks, I've lost count of how many times I've ordered food delivery service, grocery deliveries, not so much, but I, I know quite a few folks who kind of rely on Amazon Fresh or um, Instacart for grocery deliveries. I think those, again, will have a bit of an interesting shift in how things work. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's honestly, there's quite a few spaces. These like remote working, 
distributed teams, even basic things like managing uh, payroll and insurance products for remote teams. I think there's a couple of companies in the US that do them. I think those are going to see some some interesting developments. And within the fintech space, is there something really coming up? Within fintech, again, I'm a bit I'm a bit worried because I think there's a like when it comes to things like online banking, I love to hate my bank. So <laughs> I I like trying newer banks because it's they're a lot more efficient. Um, but there's that trust factor. As in, if I'm depositing money with you, I want you to be around for the long term. When it comes to other products like mortgages, loans, I think those have had a really good run. And now we're going to release test their metal. And I'm concerned that there's going to be a bit of a bump in the road. And I wonder how they'll weather it. It's one thing when you have, you know, few percentages of defaults. It's another thing when those go into double-digit defaults. So I think we're all waiting to see how that will shape out. But other things, I mean, we always keep talking about how, I guess, how behind the US is when it comes to like payment systems. We still use credit cards almost ubiquitously. And credit cards in the US are also very weird. We have chip, but we don't use PIN. It's chip and signature. We, <laughs> uh, yeah, I always thought that was very weird. I had read a study recently that it's all about time. The amount of time it takes to put a pin versus sign a piece of paper is basically a few seconds. If you add that to the scale of transactions they have, it isn't worth the risk uh, on the signature. So we're, yeah, it's a bit weird like that. But when you look at other countries, especially Southeast Asia, for instance, where mobile wallets are extremely predominant and they've kind of skipped the whole credit card generation, I don't know how long or if the US will get there. It's, we are a bit addicted to credit cards. All the rewards, all the benefits, like they, they really add up. Interesting because they don't really exist in other parts of the world, or this rewards. And... Yeah, well, it's because the charges over here are when you swipe the cards, you're pretty much going to pay or lose 2.5% on every transaction at least. So those add up and those pay for the rewards. In the EU, those are, I guess, regulations prevent those sort of high interchanges. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to mention? Well, I'd love any founders or anybody who listens to your podcast to try out Founders List. If there's any ideas or any concerns or thoughts they have, I'm looking to hear any feedback from founders. So anyone should feel free to reach out directly. I'm always excited as well to connect with founders. So I guess I have a bit of experience, whether it's raising money, building a hopefully scalable product. So in that vein as well, if there's any founders who need some advice, some help, um, they can find me on LinkedIn or on founderslist.com. And I think one of the nice things I've experienced being in Silicon Valley and in New York is that founders definitely ask a lot or um, yeah, ask for lots of help, but they're always also very willing to make introductions and to offer help in return. And I think that's one part of the, the founderless spirit is in if you're going to ask for something, like it's always good to be able to offer something as well in exchange. All right. And apart from Founders List, where can people reach you? Well, probably LinkedIn would be the best. It's easy to find me, Philip Camilleri. There aren't too many Philip Camilleri's. But if you just email philip at founderslist.com, that's, right. uh, that's my email address. Awesome. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Jean. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, 
send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.